Thank you so much. Too kind. Agus Cape Mila Falcha. Kachuk Solis Boyaklia. How are you all doing? You well? Great to see you all. And if it's your first time, you are especially welcome. My name is Jamie, uh, and I am part of the team here at Lighthouse. And you've joined us at the beginning of a brand new series called Impact One, uh, which I'm going to introduce in just a second. But before I do, uh, in five weeks' time, well, let's start with this. In four weeks' time, Something really special is happening in the life of our church. If you were here last Sunday for Vision Sunday, so many updates, so many things to celebrate, of course. But one of the biggest things on the calendar uh, for us this year is we're launching Lighthouse Dundalk, everybody, come on. On Sunday, the 2nd of April, we're so thrilled, so excited. Of course, some of the team are here, so be praying for them. And if you know anyone uh, in County Louth, over the border, around the dock, Monaghan, Drogheda, you know, anywhere in that area, make sure to help us get the word out, let the world know that we're starting another life-giving church like this one uh, in that great area on April 2nd. The second thing I want to get to is that, of course, the week after is Easter Sunday on the 9th of April, Easter Sunday, a massive, massive day in the calendar for us. At the end of today's uh, gathering, or a message say, I'm going to be giving you all, look at this, how fancy, everyone say, ooh, how fancy, we have these wonderfully made, beautiful, good to touch, quality finish, easy to read, but a QR code, so modern, uh, invitation cards uh, for our Easter Sunday. Our theme for this Easter is Hallelujah. We're, we got so many creative things in store for you uh, and for your family. It's going to be a great Sunday to celebrate. But more than just that, more than just doing a special Sunday for us, for those of us in the room online who are Christians, we're also conscious of the fact that there are many people who are far from God, don't know God, don't believe in God, aren't open to God, confused about God, curious about God, uncertain about God, questioning God, right, out there. And we want to make our Easter celebration or Easter gathering or Easter party as accessible for those people too. And again, if you're in that category in the room, we are so glad you are here. So to help us build up towards Easter, to help us get in the right frame of mind as a church, we're starting a brand new series today. And if you have the series slide put up there, uh, called uh, Impact one. And this is a very, very simple series. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how every single one of us in this room are called by God to make a difference. Some of you have seen our team uh, moving around the room on, on any given Sunday, or you'll see people when they get baptized on Easter, because we are doing baptisms, guys, on Easter Sunday. So if you haven't yet uh, got baptized, make sure you talk to our Next Steps team after service. We'd love to baptize you. Uh, what a great way to go under the waters, Baptism Sunday. But one of the things that we put on the t-shirt people wear is we say, we are made for more. And I want, what I want you to know is you were made for more. Like the purpose of your life is more than just earning a living, going through the routine, retiring, and becoming worm food. 
God has a plan for your life. And part of that plan involves other people. In fact, a huge part of that plan, a huge part of your being made for more is understanding that the gifts and callings of God were given to you, but not for you. The gifts and calling of God were given to you to flow through you into this world to make our world a better place. The truth is, even though sometimes we feel so small, even though sometimes we feel so insignificant, and it is true that any, any one of us, we can't impact the whole world. We can't impact everyone's world. We may be able to change the whole entire earth, but every one of us can impact someone's world. And if you're a Jesus follower, you're probably a Jesus follower because someone, whether it be a believing parent, a praying aunt, a friend who invited you to something like Easter, someone somewhere did some things, prayed for you, invited you, spoke to you, challenged you, debated with you, encouraged you, was just there for you. I don't know what your story is, but someone was there and that person impacted your life. And so in the same way, as we get ready for Easter, we're talking about every one of us has been made for more in the sense that we are called of God to make an impact in the world of the someones, not the everyones, but the someones that God has surrounded us with. So today in part one, I've entitled the message, Prayer Power, everybody. Prayer Power. Because although over the last 12 months we've talked about prayer a lot in our church, especially in the context of devotional prayer, a personal relationship with God, conversational prayer, all kinds of stuff. Today I want to talk to you specifically about the power of prayer as it pertains to praying for other people. Because I want you to know that your prayer has power. As, of course, every Sunday I say, our message notes are on the Bible app. So if you have a phone, you can open it up and look at this QR code. You can scan it real quick. Or if you have the Bible app, a U version, click on more events. Or find my church, another quick way of doing it. And then, of course, you can track along with me. But I want you to know, and again, if you're here, you're a skeptic, you're not a Jesus follower, you're not a Christian, this is a great son to be here because I want, I want you to understand something, that when we pray as Christians, we pray because we know our prayer has power. Our prayer has power to change. We don't just pray for the sake of praying. We don't just pray to be religious. We don't pray to be seen. We don't pray because prayer makes us better, makes us feel better alone. We really pray because when we pray, we actually believe Our prayer has power to change things. Now, you may call us crazy, and that's okay. And you may think that's a bit odd, and that's okay. And you may not believe that prayer has the power, and that's okay. Because even if you don't believe that prayer has the power to change, I believe for you that prayer has the power to change. And more than just believing it, here's what I want you to know. I've been following Jesus for over 20 years, and I can tell you with absolute certainty, without undivided doubt, that I have seen in, I don't want to say hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, I can't even count. I don't know how many occasions I've seen God move when people prayed. Not just people in general, not just circumstantial, what could be labeled coincidence. I know in my life, there are many, many, many times where I have prayed and things are beyond my power, beyond my ability. There was no coincidence. There was no, you know, uh, look. It was the power of God that worked in and through those prayers and made a difference. And if we're going to be made for, if we're going to be a church that serves the city, if we're going to be a church that serves this country, then it's not just good enough that we pray for ourselves and of ourselves and from ourselves. We need to pray for those around us. We need to pray for the love of God, for the grace of God, for the mercy of God to change people's lives. And this prayer that we're praying isn't just a, a soft, cute, uh, cuddly kind of prayer. It's a powerful prayer. 
It's a prayer that brings lasting, transformative, and eternal change to the lives. And there it is. Boom. Brings it a lasting, transform, and eternal change to the lives of those that we are praying for. And again, if you're a Jesus for at one point, you were, you were the subject matter of someone's prayer like this. I know for certain, I definitely was the subject matter of a lot of prayer, and God changed my life. Now, here's the thing. We know this to be true. And again, if you're a Christian, prayer changes things. But we also know it isn't easy. Praying for change requires a couple of things. It requires persistence. And again, this is one of these counter-cultural values because we don't like persistence in our culture. We like convenience. We want everything to be easy. We want everything to be quick. We want everything to be convenient. And again, I'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with convenience in general. But when that's the only gear or the only muscle that we have as human beings, we're weak human beings. Because life is hard. And there's many parts of life that require us to develop the muscle of persistence. If you're going to get a college degree, as some of you are in this room, you need to persist. If you're going to achieve something in, in, in sports, you need to persist. If you're going to have a healthy marriage, you need to persist. There's so many areas of life that are important that require persistence. And just like those areas that aren't bad and aren't evil and aren't arbitrary, they're good but require persistence, so too does our prayer require persistence but not only does our prayer require persistence but our prayer prayer, praying for change also includes possibility like on the one hand it's like yeah we gotta we gotta pray with faith and expectation and keep praying until something happens but on the other hand it's like well when we pray here's a good way here's a good way to think about your prayer whatever you're praying for right now again if you're a christian and you're praying maybe you're not a christian praying it's cool too whatever you're praying for how about how about thinking about your prayer in this way? Can you imagine if God? Rather than just, oh, I'm praying for this situation, I'm praying for this person, I'm praying for Can you imagine what God could do if he answered that prayer? Like, yes, persist. Yes, persevere. Yes, do not quit. That's so important. But at the same time, let's not lose sight of the dream. Can you imagine what God could do if he answered that prayer? I'm going to tell you a few stories throughout the message about my family, about people who are now following Jesus, serving Jesus, loving Jesus, better husbands, better fathers, better people. But at one time, they were the subject matter of a persistent prayer. I'm now living in the reality of what was once a dream, what once seemed impossible, what once seemed like, oh, God can do it for anybody else, but God can't do it for me. Now I'm watching these people who are close to me Pray for others who are far away. See, prayer must be persistent. Prayer includes possibility. And prayer by nature is defiant. When it comes to praying for change, it's naturally defiant. Why do I say defiant? Because when we pray for change, what are we saying? We're saying we're looking at circumstances that we don't like, that we don't think are good, that we don't think are healthy. And so we're going to defy the norm. We're going to defy the trend. We're going to defy reality in a certain sense. And we're going to pray. Let me tell you something. I personally have experienced many times where someone was ill or sick and we prayed for them and they were healed. I can tell you there's times where doctors have verified that a person was miraculously healed healed. In our church alone over the years, there's been literally hundreds, perhaps even thousands of stories where people were like legitimately diagnosed as being unwell, sick, 
and were prayed for and were completely healed. Now you may say, well, that's just a coincidence. It would if it was once. But why is it time and time and time again we pray and God other things? There are many, many children in this church. In fact, some of our young people in our youth groups who were told, we were told at one point, they cannot be born. Like, they are a living, defiant testimony of God's miraculous power because their parents were told, you cannot have babies. It's impossible, medically, scientifically impossible. And you know what? That's true. It was scientifically and medically impossible, but we prayed anyway. And we prayed prayers of faith. And we prayed prayers that were defiant. And somehow God miraculously opened uh, up heavens and, and miracles. And now there's a whole bunch of children in this church who should not be here. I mean, even this church, and look around, this, shouldn't, this is not normal, people. We should not be, God should not be building his church in Ireland. Ireland's done with church. Ireland's over church. Ireland has no appetite for church. No one wants to go to church, right? Wrong. Here we are, two locations, about to launch a third. Talk about baptisms on Easter Sunday. No space left in the building. You know why? Because Jesus is doing something in our day. And this thing, even though we serve and we give and we go, we do all these things, this house is built on a defiant prayer. A prayer that believes that when it comes to the kingdom of God in Ireland, the best days are in front of us and not behind us. Here's what I want you to know, friend. Prayer is powerful. And even if, like I said, you're here, you're not a believer or a Christ follower, maybe you're skeptical or curious, I'm so glad you're here. I want you to open up your mind to the possibility that maybe prayer can be powerful in your life too. It was Edwin Harvey who said, a day without prayer is a day without blessing, but a life without prayer is a life without power. Now, bringing it back to our series. So prayer is powerful. Prayer makes a difference. Prayer that is persevering. Prayer that prays for possibility. Prayer that is defiant really does change things. But how does it relate to impact one? What I want you to see is your prayer has, has power, has that power to profoundly impact someone's life. Your prayer has the power to profoundly impact someone's life. And I'm going to say this from the get-go. As Christians, we don't just pray so people find Jesus. We don't just pray people come to church. We want that in every scenario. You think, well, why would you want me to become a Christian? Because Jesus not only makes your life better, but Jesus makes you better at life. Like your best chance to being whole and healthy and to be a good citizen, a good spouse, to the best student you could be, the best employee, the best employer, the best artist, the best entrepreneur. Your best chance of being the best is with Jesus in your life. Like why would we not want that for you? Like what kind of church would we be if we were saying, hey, by the way, you're not a Christian, that's cool. We don't want you to be a Christian. Like, don't get up in our junk and mess up with our thing. Like we got a good thing going. We don't need you. It's like, that would be crazy. Because we have found this treasure from heaven that changes our lives, is changing our lives, and gives us hope that life can change the better in the future. We want that for you. 
Now, you may call us, you know, whatever you want to call us, like, oh, guy, you guys are too pushed. Whatever. That's fair. But understand, the motive of our heart is when we pray for our friends, we pray for our family, we pray for our neighbors, we pray for our country, pray for our towns, cities, and villages. It's because we want the best for people. And the best, we believe, isn't an economic situation or solving the housing crisis or dealing with the refugee thing. The best in every scenario is that when we have Jesus, even when we have nothing, we have everything. And we want that for everyone. So our heart, and again, I'm going to say it, my heart, our heart, is that all 5 million people in the Republic, all 7 million people on this island would come to know the transforming power of Jesus. And I will not apologize that because I want the best for people. Our prayer, when we pray in this way, has the power to make a difference in our world. Now, Jesus spoke about this. We're going to turn to God's word in a second and lay a foundation for the message. Jesus spoke about this in Luke's gospel, chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. This is actually one of the most confusing parables in the gospels. People kind of get to this one, read and go, what the heck is going on? Because it seems like what Jesus is advocating for is the very thing we came out of, a kind of mundane, rote, religious prayer life to a God who's disinterested, who's not really caring, and ultimately it will only answer our prayer request because we nag him to death. Like that's how most people in society think prayer works, right? That's how some of us came into the kingdom thinking prayer worked. But actual fact, when you, when you understand the parable, what Jesus is trying to do is show us that God is the opposite. It's a parable of contrast. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app, let's jump into Luke 18, chapter 18, sorry, verse 1. And it should say in your heading, the parable of the persistent widow. Okay, verse 1. So then Jesus told his disciples a parable. Now watch this. Luke, because Luke's a doctor, he's a story, and he's a very astute writer uh, and, uh, and thinker. So he tells us why. So obviously something's happened in the story. Again, you can read the few verses before but he tells us why jesus jesus is not just telling his power of vacuum jesus is responding to something and it tells the verse one that jesus told his disciples this parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up they should pray persistent defiant prayers characterized by possibility to show his followers that we should pray all the time defiantly persistently for the for the impossibly possible jesus told them this parable verse two in a certain town this is obviously fictitious it's a parable there was a judge who neither feared god nor cared about men which by the way that's a dangerous judge and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea grant me justice so what's her plea Something has happened against her. Something has been taken from her. She's been hurt. She's been attacked. Whatever. She suffered something. And what she's asking for, she isn't trying to sue someone or or make a point. She's just trying to get justice, which, by the way, is the purpose of the judiciary system. That's why I said it's a dangerous thing when a judge, because the highest level of authority in our land is a judge. Like there's circuit courts and criminal courts, and there's the high court. And beyond the high court, there's nobody. And there's no sense of actually one day we will be accountable for the judgments we make. One day we will stand before someone and give an account for our role in the justice of the world. That's a very dangerous thing. Why? Because with no, no fear, as in, I mean, we cover this in Cop On series, with no reverence, with no understanding, with no worldview of God, people can be really malevolent, as we're seeing around the world. 
But this poor widow, again, no husband, no provider, no protection in this culture, is coming to this, this unjust judge looking for justice. For some time uh, he refused, it says in verse 4, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, so obviously from that statement he's a very prideful person, yet because this woman, this widow, keeps bothering me, I will see to it that she gets justice so she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Verse 6, and the Lord said, this is Jesus, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, here's the, here's the real punch statement of the parable. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, when you read kind of... Uh, what scholars have to say about the, this chapter, this parable, what they, what they essentially say is that Jesus is really speaking, and again, I'm going to give you a technical term, in eschatological terms, okay? So eschatology is the, is the doctrine of end times. So it's the doctrine of the idea that one day Jesus is going to come back. And in essence, what Jesus is saying is that in between the time that he leaves and he comes back, we're going to face some challenges as his people. We're going to face challenges where we're faced with unjust scenarios, unjust legal systems, unjust you know, people, employers. We're just going to face a lot of injustice. And the question Jesus asks is in the face of that challenging of our faith, in, in light of the difficulties we're going to go through as people who profess to faith in him, when he comes back, because he will come back at a certain point in time, will he find faith? Or will the unjust, unjust, hard, difficult, unfair world that we live in completely rob us of our faith? So there's an essence where, in context, you know, the, the, the kind of primary application is in those terms. But it's also a secondary application, a, a kind of sub-application, which, which is what I want to focus on today, which, got, which has got to do with the idea of prayer. Because in the parable, Jesus speaks about prayer. And he presents with two uh, characters. We'll come to in a second. But Again, maybe you're here and you're not a Christ follower and you grew up believing that the, that the kind of situation the widow was in is how prayer works. That God is some angry, unjust judge up there in heaven doing his thing. And again, we see this portrayed all the time, times in the movies. I mean, some of you may have seen recently Thor, God of Thunder. And you have the character Zeus, which of course is Russell Crowe and Gladiator of a belly just saying. And it's like... It's that, that picture of Zeus up there, not really caring, not really interested, doesn't really affect us. That's how most people view God. Up there having a great time in heaven, safe, no pain, no death, no sickness, no, no recession, no job loss, no migration, no refugee status, no losing of your home, no eviction notices, none of these things. And so we come before God in our greatest hour of need, and we, we send up a perhaps a literal Hail Mary or a metaphorical Hail Mary, and we throw up there and we say, God, if you're out there, do something. And nothing happens. I mean, maybe we watch someone in our family, a granny, an aunt, a mother, someone, pray persistently, and, to, and we perceived or we thought we couldn't see any impact. And so we look at this parable of the judge, and when we go, that's exactly what God is like. That's exactly what prayer is like. But the truth is, the reason why Jesus tells this parable is to actually show us the contrast. See, in the symbolism of the few verses that we read, and in the two characters, we see that these represent different people. 
So the judge is like God, except the judge is the exact opposite of God. The judge in the parable is the antithesis of God, where the judge was unjust and disinterested and not caring and not involved and not motivated for justice. God is caring and he's involved. And he is a God of justice. And he is a God who is faithful. And he is a God who, in the, we, we, we measure things in the short run, like, oh my gosh, God didn't hold that person accountable. Yeah, we may judge by years. God judges by centuries. There will be a time where every unjust person who brought pain and heartache and suffering to the lives of other people will stand before a righteous God and will give an account for their life and will be held accountable to their choices, decisions, especially as they pertain to how they affected other people, especially those who are weak and vulnerable. There will be a day of reckoning. It will come. Just like those people right now who are, who are sitting in our, in our prisons in Ireland, there was a time where they were getting away from it. There was a time where they were free. There was a time between their crime and their capture where they were living in perceived freedom. That, you know what? We're free. No one knows. Never going to be caught until one day they were captured. Now they're paying the price, the consequences for their actions. It may have taken five years. It may have taken 10 years. It may have taken 20 years. But eventually, those who committed these crimes were held to account for their actions in the same way, just in a much bigger time span. People may think, oh, I'm living free. No one knows. No one's going to catch me. No one can hold me. I don't fear God. No one can hold me account. One day, every single one of us will stand before God. Because life that we have, we didn't make this life. You didn't create this life. Your parents didn't give you this life. The breath that's in you is given to a God. It's from God, it's of God. When God says your time is he'll take it away from you. It's his breath. And one day we're going to have to give an account for the life that we lived and the breath that we breathed and the actions that we committed and the consequences of those actions. And Jesus is saying that God is not like the unjust judge. God is a just judge. He's more than just a judge. He's a loving father who fights for his children. The other contrast is, of course, the widow. Because sometimes we think, oh man, we're like the widow. We're poor, disenfranchised, vulnerable, weak. No one cares about us. We're past our prime. There's no place for us inside, no place for us in the world. We've no influence. Our voice doesn't carry any weight. No one's hearing us. But again, just like God is the exact opposite of the judge, we are the exact opposite of the widow. See, we're not homeless orphans left out to dry with no voice, no influence, no protector, no family, no place to belong to. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a son and daughter of God. You are loved. Come on. You have a place to belong. You have a family. You have a father in heaven who's interested and involved in every detail of your life and will walk with you through every valley of the shadow of ever death you're going through. Death of relationship, death of a job, death of a dream, death of your house you to move out maybe death itself whatever death you're going through you have a God you have a faith you have a type of prayer that is robust and strong and eternal and transformative and outlasts even the most devastating and challenging of circumstances so because God is who he is and because we are who we are unlike the unjust judge and unlike the poor widow our prayer is heard and our prayer is answered and our prayer makes 
a difference. Remember verse 1, Jesus told the disciples prayer to show them they should always pray and never give up. So, okay, just shifting gear, turn the corner. What does that look like practically, especially think about impact one? So if that's true, if that's who God is, who we are, and our prayer makes a difference, then specifically speaking, how can we pray in a way that impacts one? Well, let me give you three ways, very simple, very practical. Ways, three ways prayer makes an impact. Prayer, powerful prayer, persistent prayer, prayer possibility to find prayer, changes the world in which you live in. Number one, prayer motivates the heart of people. Now understand this. This is really useful. Again, if you're here, you're not a Christian, Christ follower, you're kind of wondering what's going on. Understand that most people in this room who right now are Jesus followers, for a large part of their life, did not want to be Jesus followers. Like, it's not like, you know, you come out of secondary school, get your leaving cert results and go, man, my ambition in life is to be a Christian. Like, no three-year-old goes, man, I can't wait to grow up. I'm going to be a great Christian. Like, it's not like we give out awards and culture for people who have strong and vibrant faith. Usually, if you have a strong and vibrant faith that's making a difference, you're punished in this culture anyway. It's not like we naturally have this desire to love and follow God, especially when it's not popular as it is not popular now, culturally speaking. Most people in this room right now who follow Jesus at some time did not want to follow Jesus. But someone, somewhere, at some time, was praying for people like us. And somewhere, at some time, because those someone's were praying for us, something changed in us. We're all of a sudden, to put it in a, in a, in a kind of a churchy terminology, our hard hearts became soft towards God. See, there's, there's, there's a difference between not knowing God uh, because of ignorance, like I never experienced God. All my, all my uh, examples of God are negative. I've just seen what's happened with scandals. I've seen the abuse. I've seen what's in the media. And so all my experience with God is, is based on a partial ignorance because I myself have never really given myself to God in terms of opening my heart towards Him. So I choose to believe what the media says, but I don't, I don't have a personal opinion myself. That's a, that's, a, that's a thing of ignorance. But there's a lot of people who, uh, opposite to that, basically um, would say that, you know, I, I don't want to follow God uh, because I'm against God, I'm angry with God, I'm upset with God, I'm, I'm, I'm far from God, or, or whatever. And people don't just, just all of a sudden wake up in the morning with a, with a change of mind. Something happens in their hearts that opens their heart to the possibility that maybe God is real. And maybe God really changes. And maybe God really loves. And maybe God really can do the impossible. I mean, if you don't believe it, I'm standing in front of you as someone who was once adamantly against the things of God. Not just passively, I was aggressively against People like me talking to you like I am now, which is quite ironic. So be careful what you're against because you might end up becoming that. Just saying. And, uh, and so, but someone prayed and my heart changed. And this is really interesting because this brings in the, there is, there is a mysterious side of prayer. For example, prayer is not limited to space and time. You see, we are limited to space. We can only be at one place at one time. We're limited to space and time. But if we were to all close our eyes right now, and pray for the people suffering in Turkey, our prayer 
somehow connects us to the suffering people in that place. And because God is a just judge and a loving father, and because we're not like this poor widow, but we are sons and daughters of the family of God, our prayer makes a difference. It's why those of you who grew up in Christian homes know the power of a praying mother, right? It's like you get as far away from her as you can. You move to a different country. You're out there living in a sinning thing, but somehow her prayer catches you. It's because you should never under The most powerful type of prayer is the prayer of a praying mother. Run for your life. But it's something that even though you run for your life, you cannot escape the hand of God. Why? Because prayer is not limited to space and time. In fact, we can pray, we can pray prayers now that even when we're all dead and gone, God will still honor in times to come. I believe that part of what we're living in right now in Ireland, or part of what we're experiencing as Lighthouse Church and as the kingdom of God, is the result of people who are now in heaven, but when they were alive, prayed persistent, defiant prayers of possibility. They prayed prayers like, God, raise up in this land a life-giving church that will glorify the name of Jesus and reach people who are far from you. Raise up a church that won't just be inward-focused and focus on its own needs, its own thing, but will be outward-focused, touching the nations, bringing the light of the gospel to lands beyond its shores. Raise up an army of young men and women who will stand up for God, stand out for God, who God will stand with to bring about change in their day. We are standing right now in the answer to someone else's prayers. Prayer is a powerful thing. This week I was out of the country and I was on a plane, parents' message, and I was 30-something thousand feet in the air and I was praying for you. I don't even know all of you, but I was praying for you. And I was thinking about this moment, I'm praying for this church, I'm praying for... And so even though that was the other day and even though that was in the air and even though that was over the Atlantic, God answers and honors the prayer of his people. Prayer not only changes things, but ch- prayer can change lives. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people in the world, maybe in this room, who need their lives changed for the better. There's a lot of people in this world right now who are suffering. They're lonely, disconnected, they're addicted, they're in debt, they're tired, they're weary. There's so many people struggling to the point at which they're even despairing of their own life and ending their own life. Surely, If you're a non-Christian, you can agree with me that finding faith in Jesus and staying alive is better dying with nothing. There's a lot of people in this world that need God to change their lives. And we aren't just promising some fake, almost experience. We're saying Jesus is the real deal. He's the real thing. He brings lasting, actual, eternal life change to the hearts of every man and woman that will be open to his power, and to his presence. Jesus wants to put, again, to go back to that analogy, a, a soft heart in people to be open to his love, his grace, and his mercy. There's a famous story in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 36 where it says, basically God's speaking to the prophet Ezekiel to his people. And basically, Ezekiel is speaking on God's behalf to people saying, hey, here's what I want to do in your land. Like, you guys are facing all these challenges, foreign invaders, your economy's down, people are not safe, families are falling apart, people are confused, culture's upside down. There's all these challenges. And God says to Ezekiel, tell the people, I will give you. The solution isn't what you think it is. It isn't a new government or better economics or more. All those things are important, but they're secondary because if we change all those things and don't change this thing, 
then this thing will ruin all those things. Listen to me. The world is not a bad place. The world just is bad people. A lot of times, God gets the butt end of blame for things people do. Like God isn't the one destroying forests. God isn't the one fighting a war in the Ukraine. God isn't the one committing murders and rapes and all these things. People do it. Which people go, well, you see, there's proof there's no God. I say, there's proof for why we need God. Because what can truly transform a human heart and completely change the nature of a person? The gospel. I, I personally haven't experienced anything else that in the world would give people a different heart, a different spirit. They would take a heart of stone, selfish, self-interested, destructive heart and give people a heart of love and grace and peace and mercy that every day through following his presence we endeavor to be like Jesus. Our world needs a new heart. It was Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, who said, prayer is the forerunner of mercy. In other words, prayer always comes before mercy. He's talking about God pouring out mercy in a salvation sense. Turn to sacred history and you will find that scarcely ever did a great mercy come to this world unheralded by supplication. Some technical words. To herald means to invite or to bring in and supplication means prayer. What Spurgeon is saying is that oftentimes when God pours out his mercy on a person, on a family, on a nation, in a town, in a business, whatever it is we're praying for, you'll often as you trace back as you see that somewhere in the background people are praying. People are just praying, well, God, you know, if you're not busy on Thursday and you don't forget about me and if your iPhone can, you know, beep, you know, because God has an iPhone, by the way, no Android's in heaven. And you know what I'm saying? So like, well, it's got, it's got an Apple on people. Come on, it's biblical. And so, and so you know, if, if you can remember me, then maybe you'll do me a favor and just, you know, sort me out, right, God? That's not what we're talking about. It's a prayer where it's like, God, I know you want people who are far from you to know your love, your grace, and your mercy. I know your disposition, your heart, your posture, your attitude towards them is good. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would touch their lives, comfort their hearts, fill them with hope and joy. Do you know what? Every, every single morning, I told you, every single morning we pray for you as a family. And you know one of the things I pray for you nearly every day? I pray for you that God's joy will fill your heart. I mean, come on. Even if you're not a Christian and you don't be praying for thinking, I want some more joy. I mean, I could, I could smile more. I, I could do it with having a few more laughs. It's like, you know what? How about this? How about, how about this? How about the best evangelistic weapon that we have isn't condemnation, but joy? That when you experience the joy of God, you go, wow. I mean, I've, I've been on some things in my day, but I've never experienced anything like that. For God to pour out mercy... His people need to pray. So prayer motivates the hearts of people. Number two, prayer also moves the hand of God. God, as I said, responds to our prayer. Our prayer moves the hand of God. And again, it's it's somewhat of a mystery in this because God has a will, God has a plan, God has a purpose, and God invites us to pray. And when we pray, when we lift up people's lives, their scenarios, their circumstances, their challenges before God, we're told that God, He may not always do what we want. Sometimes we think we confuse God with a vending machine. It's like I press B6 because I want the hunky dories, but all of a sudden the power rate falls. I'm like, what the heck? I was here for the Christmas, I don't need the power rate. 
I mean, and it's like, oh my gosh. Well, you see, we think God, our, God, our relationship with God, our prayer is transactional. That if, and so come on, let's be honest. Some of us have prayers. God, if you do this for me, well, I promise with all of my little heart that for the rest of my life, I love you so much. Just give me that car, just once. Make her like me, please. Give me that job, Lord. And sometimes the crazy thing is God actually gives you those things and you forget the promise you made. God didn't forget to be faithful to the prayer, but you forgot to, be, to follow up on the promise you made. And again, if God was the unjust judge, he would come and knock and say, hey, you owe me. It's like one morning you go, well, God, I changed my mind. And God says, open your window. You open your window, the car's gone. Dang! And again, sometimes that's how God's portrayed in culture. But God is so gracious and he's so loving to you that even when he answers our prayers and we don't follow church premises, God still gives it anyway. Because he's gracious. And he's a good father. God responds to our prayer. But when we pray a prayer of faith, a prayer that's in line with his will, oh my gosh, watch what happens. And we pray not our heart's desire, but we pray, God, give me your heart's desire. See, our heart's desire is things. Our heart's desire is selfish. Our heart's desire is our heart. But God's heart desire is people. And God's, God's heart's desire is selfless. When we pray for the heart of God, usually what we sense is a person, a problem, an opportunity to serve, an opportunity to be generous. God responds to prayer, but God especially responds to prayer when we are praying for those who do not know him. God, you, 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 you want to really get God excited? You want to really stir up a party in heaven? Begin to pray for those who are far from God. And the farther they are away, the more excited heaven gets. I tell you, the reason why I stand before you today as a pastor is because I know, I know me. I didn't just like have this crazy, hallucinogenic, psychedelic experience. I didn't eat mushrooms or like eat a ghost pepper like Homer Simpson and go off in the desert. Like, like I was fully conscious and the presence of God filled my life. I prayed a half-hearted prayer to a God I didn't even believe in and God answered, which is very inconvenient to my atheism because I didn't expect it to happen. But I made a choice to give my life to Jesus because of what happened. And since that moment, God has been continually working in me and through me. And I, I, I chose this path to help other people because of what happened to me. I know that God can change even the hardest of hearts. I know that God can reach even those who are far. Like, I mean, I don't have time anymore, but I can tell you, I mean, I was the furthest away you could ever be from God. Funny story, I remember years ago, talking to a lady at our church, and we we're talking about praying for people. And she said, I, I want to share a story with you. I said, What's, what story? She goes, oh, well, I, I prayed for my husband for years, and he wouldn't believe, and he wasn't open to Jesus. And so and I was praying and praying and praying and praying. And I said, well, how long did you pray for? She said, 18 years. And I said, wow, that's persistent prayer. You know what I'm saying? 18 years. And eventually this guy opened his heart to Jesus, became a Christian, loving God, loving life, totally transformed his marriage, his business. He's just you know, on cloud nine. So I asked him, I said, so what was that like for you? And he said, well, it was okay. I said, what do you mean okay? He said, well, if I'm honest, it was a bit weird. And I said, well, how is it weird? Because oftentimes at three o'clock in the morning, I wake up and my wife's like praying, Jesus, save him, Jesus, save him. And I was like, okay, this is getting a little bit out of hand. And so we laughed a lot about, you know, 
You don't have to be weird to pray, people, okay? I'm saying prayer, necessary. Faith, absolutely. Weirdness, optional, okay? We, we make, prayer isn't weird. We make prayer weird. Nonetheless, God answered her prayer, and now her and her husband are together. What a great testimony. Jesus encourages us to ask him in prayer. He says in John 14, 14, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Prayer changes things, and more than changes things, prayer changes people, and the way ch- prayer changes things, and the way prayer changes people is because when we pray, we invite in the God factor. We've all heard of the X factor, you know, having the, that, that little bit above, a little bit more, the, the special thing. I and mean, of course, we all know the TV show, it's famous all the world. But, but beyond the X factor, we have the God factor. And when you have the God, when you pray a prayer in faith in the name of Jesus, and it's in line with God, do the prayer for his heart, prayer makes impossible things possible. Prayer makes what right now is not reality possible one day as God wills, and people's hearts are open. Prayer, we're told by P.O., prayer is the, is the best weapon we possess. It is the key that opens the heart of God. Prayer motivates the heart of people. Prayer moves the hand of God. And third and finally, and prayer makes heaven a reality. Now, I, I want to get a little bit complicated for a second, so if you're falling asleep, just go asleep right now and save yourself the pain. If you're interested, lean in. I'm going to complicate for a few seconds. This is really, really important. I want to give you some, some theology. What do I mean when I say prayer makes heaven a reality? Well, heaven, we're told, is the realm of God's domain. Heaven isn't a place where God lives, per se. Heaven is where God has him. And God has chosen to give us, human beings, on the earth, a sense of autonomy where we, may, we are free to make our own choices and to live with our own because God is still over and in charge of the earth, but God has chosen, so he's in charge because it's his choice, to give us autonomy. This is really important. Why? Because sometimes, especially as non-Christians, one of the reasons why we say we can't follow God is because we say, well, God should do this, that, and the other. To which I go, well, if God were to do this, that, and the other, that would mean we're not autonomous beings, which means we're just basically spiritual robots that God has pre-programmed, and you would say that is cultish. It's like, which one do you want? Do you want people to have free will? Because if people truly have free will, they may choose in their free will to hurt, to rob, to kill, to destroy, because they have a free will. If you're saying, yes, but I want God to give you free will, but until this point, like, let people do their thing, but when it comes to robbing and raping and killing, God should intervene. Well, again, are we truly free? To be free means we're free to live our lives the way we want and to live with the consequences. And God is so good to us that even though it ends up leading to our destruction physically and spiritually, God gives us the power to choose. Now, what happens when we pray? When we say, God, beyond my power to choose, I choose you. And I choose heaven. And we need help down here. I mean, this marriage is falling apart, this person's sick in hospital, this, this, this person's broken heart, this person's depressed, this city's in ruin, this country's backwards. Like when we, when we lift up a prayer to heaven, so to speak, heaven comes down. And just like there's, there's physical climates in the world, there's spiritual climates. There's a spiritual realm. I mean, most scientists, most even other religious thinkers will tell you there's a, there's a spiritual reality beyond this. Like our existence isn't just what we see. There's something beyond 
what's visible, what's tangible. There's something beyond the five senses, the world. I mean, science shows us this. There's a whole part of science dedicated to this. So we know this. The question is, is what are these spiritual climates doing? And I'll tell you this, as a pastor, it's very important to me that we, those, because if you're not a Christian, go to sleep. If you're a Christian, listen, it's very important to me that we are awake and attentive to the climate we're living in. Because yesterday I got back from a trip. I ran, landed in Dublin Airport at around 11 o'clock. And the place I came from was very sunny. It was beautiful. It was perfect. Oh, God. So because I was in a rush, I didn't have a chance to change. I arrived in a thin T-shirt and shorts. So as I walked out of Dublin Airport, everyone's like, who is this fella? Right? That was okay. Had my coffee, waited for my pickup. Went to go to the car, and it was lashing rain. I mean, it was really raining. It felt like it had been raining since the time I left. It was raining that much. And from the time it took to walk across the road and get in the car, I was drenched. Like, my clothes were wet, my skin was wet, my soul was wet. Like, it just was that kind of rain, you know what I'm saying? And I get in the car, some of the cars wet. Everything just wet. It's like, welcome home. Cade me it's like, welcome home to Ireland. It's like, oh, I love this place. Oh, things feel so good. I wasn't prepared for the weather. And thank God I had to walk 100 meters. But if I was going on a hike, if I was going, like some people last week were in Kerry and the snow came, and they're in danger of losing their lives. There's a spiritual climate right now. And I won't, again, this could be a whole different sermon. But what I'm saying is, Jesus said, be alert. Be alert. Be watchful and praying because our world is moving right now and there's things that we can't touch in the tangible. There's things that we can't touch in the physical. There's problems we're trying to solve with our five senses that can only be solved through the power of prayer. And again, that's a whole other sermon. But what you see is this. Prayer has the power to touch heaven and change earth. It's why Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6.10. He said, our Father who is in heaven, remember this we covered this a few weeks ago, Holy is your name. And he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's he saying? He's saying that when we pray, we should pray for heaven to become a reality. Prayer makes heaven a reality. Well, what's heaven like? Well, in heaven, there's no suffering. In heaven, there's no racism. In heaven, there's no injustice. In heaven, there's no war. In heaven, there's no homelessness. In heaven, there are no refugees because everyone there is a son and daughter of God. In heaven, there is no lack. There is no poverty. There is no hunger. There are no tears. There is no suffering. There is no death. In heaven is life as life should be. And all of us in our own ways with material means are trying to build a heaven on earth for ourselves. But it cannot last. Because whether it's the moth, whether it's rust, our death itself, something is going to take us out. We have an eternal hope that one day we can live in peace. It isn't just some like childhood dream, like happily ever after. It's the very thing we're longing for and working for every day. What you're working for is you're trying to make your life, your future, your retirement, your family, your kids. You're trying to create a heaven on earth. But you can't create a perfect thing in an imperfect place with imperfect people because they ruin it. You ruin it. I ruin it. Let's be honest. But when we pray, God, your kingdom come, what we're saying is, God, over this situation, 
with your dominion, with your reality, with the power of heaven, the things that are not, that one day will be, would right now you break through the space-time continuum and tear through the physical world? And would you do something in the life of this person? And even though it's irrational, even though it's intangible, and even though science would say it's impossible, I know that you say we can ask for anything in your name, and you will do it. So I ask in the name of Jesus, according to your goodwill and according to your heart's pleasure, would you bless, heal, fill with joy, bring focus, bring back, whatever it is we're praying for. And when God answers those kind of prayers, what happens in people's lives is things that are normal earth, things that are impossible earthly standards are possible. It's why people like me, if you had known me, I think God's got a great disease. Not only did God save me, but he made me a pastor. Do you know why God made me a pastor? So he can laugh at me. I'm not joking. Because I was so pig-headed and so stubborn and so the man. God's like, look at you. Look at the man now. Look at the man with the big head telling everyone about Jesus and Ireland. <laughs> it's a loving laugh of a father who loves to lead his children to health and goodness. Prayer makes heaven a reality. I wonder what part of your life right now, your challenge, your suffering, your struggling. And, if, and, and, and can you imagine if God were to answer your prayer, what heaven could look like in your life? It was Max Lucado who said, Our prayers may be awkward, our attempts may be feeble. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it, and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. Friends, as we close, prayer has the power to change. Not just the world, but prayer has the power to change people. But praying for change requires persistence. As we persist and as we pray, let's also be reminded that as we pray, prayer includes possibility. That what right now is not may be to the power of prayer. Uh, What's possible is a lasting, transformative, and eternal change that can literally transform someone's life. Prayer, our prayer, in the name of Jesus, aligned to the will of God, praying the heart of God for people, that kind of prayer is a powerful prayer. And as we kick off this series, as we lay the foundation for next week and the week after, because I want this whole thing to be about prayer, and not the whole series, because next week we're going to talk about the power of invitation, so don't miss that one. But what I'm saying is this, is that without prayer, everything we do is meaningless. Without prayer, what are we doing here? If the presence of God is not in this thing, if the presence of God is not building this house, if the presence of God is not changing lives and bringing hope to hurting hearts, then what are we doing? All we are is another religious church playing the game of the unjust judge and the persistent widow. But if today heaven becomes a reality, if today, as we pray in the name of Jesus, God responds to our prayer, if that persistent, defiant prayer does in fact make impossible things possible, and my friends, I invite you to dream with me. What could God do? What could God do in our lives? What could God do in his church? What could God do in the dock and Navin? What could God do in Ireland if we as his people would pray? Yes, God, we can't solve the housing crisis. We can't solve the refugee thing. We can't solve all these things, but we can pray for the people. We can pray for those coming to Ireland. Lord, touch their hearts, heal them and change them and show them the power of your love. 
We can't pray for those right now who are going through difficult circumstances that in that difficulty, in that stretching, in that struggling, that they find hope and help in you. For those who are hurting, for those who are lost, for those who are without hope, that God, heaven would fill their lives. And all of a sudden, they would have a story like ours, that God, a God I didn't believe in, a God I didn't even want, filled my heart, healed me, and made me new. Not well, not better. Made me new. The promise is a new heart. So the question we're asking is, as we kick off the series, is are you willing to impact one? Are you willing to join with us over the next five weeks to pray for people? I don't mean physically going over and actually praying for them, although that may be required as the Holy Spirit leads you. I mean, who are the four or five people? If I said, hey, guys, let's all invite someone for Easter. Who would they be? Who right now is far from God? Who right now does not know? Who right now is disinterested? I might even be disgusted by your invitation. That was me. That was me. And look what God did. I didn't, don't look what God did because that's not a good thing. But look what God did. You're with me. Because I'm still in need of God every single day. God can change anyone. And so what we're doing is, I'm going to ask the false team to, to get ready and the bank come, is we're going to give out these invitation cards. And uh, what I want you to do is I want you to take a few of these home. And again, take as many as you want. One, two, five. Take none if you don't want any. Just, I want the false team to hand out these cards real quick. And what I want you to do is I want you to pray. And again, there's nothing powerful in this card. There's no magic dust. There's no spells. No one's been doing heebie-jeebies over the card. It's just a piece of laminated paper, everybody, okay? It's just a card. But this card is, is like a symbolic seed. And like any kind of seed, when a seed is sown, it can grow into something. But when a seed remains in a basket, a bucket, or a barn house, a seed, the possibility, the potential of the seed can never be realized. But when we sow in faith, and when we sow in obedience, and when we sow, because let's be honest, sometimes it takes generosity to invite people because we don't want to invite them. <laughs> Because we're, we're, oh, uh, my people's church, isn't it? It takes us to be generous, to be risky, to be brave, to be bold. But when we sow a seed of invitation, God can make it rain. And God can bring growth. And even in a land of famine, even in a land of spiritual desertness, God can bring about a harvest. But to do that, we need to pray. That's the power of prayer. So I'm asking you, and the band can come up right now. I'm asking you as the band get ready to listen to a song. Who is God leading you to pray for? Who is God leading you to pray for? Maybe it's a spouse who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't like Jesus. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a colleague classmate, a roommate, your BFF. Maybe it's a random person you see every day at the petrol station or the coffee counter. Again, we're not trying to convert people. We want the best for people. And we are convinced Jesus is the best. And if someone's got a better idea, we're all ears. But the last time I checked, the only person that has the power to heal save, redeem, and restore. It's Jesus. And so I don't, may not know anything about anybody, but I know they need Jesus. Who is the person God's leading you to pray for?
was a few years ago on an Easter Sunday that I started praying for my brothers. <clears throat> and I thought, man, God's not going to be able to do this. But I prayed. And I kept praying. And he said, yes, I'll come to Easter Sunday. And he came. And he sat in the front row, and I was a bit nervous because my brother was there. But I preached just like I preach every Sunday. My heart and soul, give my best. And after Sarah, I said, so what do you think? He was like, yeah, it's pretty good. I really, you know, it's good. And I was like, wow, okay. And that was it. Next day, he was supposed to go home, and I was headed to a conference, and there was a mix-up with lifts, so I ended up saying, listen, why don't you come with me to the conference? But to me, it's just a practical thing. And afterwards, I'll drop you home. Cool. I said, listen, you can sit in or you can sit in the foyer. Everyone goes, I'll come inside. And that night, great man of God brought a message about reaching the island. And I went forward because I was part of the prayer team. And I was praying for people. And as I looked down the prayer line, who's getting prayed for? My brother. And I was like, he's not supposed to do that. I'm like, what the heck is he doing? After I was like, bro, what the heck happened? He said, well, the guy said, do you want to you make a difference in your life and reach Ireland? And I, and I said, yes. And so I went forward and gave my life to Jesus. I was like, who does that? And he gave his life to Jesus. He's now the pastor of our Navin location. His name is Sam. A couple years later, I was speaking at a conference in Canada. And one of my brothers lived there. And I was head there with Sam because he was now our youth leader at the time. And so there's four of us. So I was like, well, the three of us will be there. We, should, we shouldn't leave the fourth guy out. Otherwise, he'll develop a complex. Let's try to get that guy there. So we worked together, threw in some money, and we got the fourth guy there, and we're there. And I said, listen, guys, we can do whatever you want. We'll go out of town. We'll jump off mountains. We'll jump in rivers, whatever the heck you want. But the one thing I ask is that you all come to church with me Saturday night when I preach. That's it. Actually, I think I said, I was doing five services, so choose which one you want to go to, but you have to go to one. And they chose Saturday night. And I was praying for my two brothers time who weren't, weren't following Jesus, the other two. And I preached my message. And I preached again, like I do, heart and soul. Afterwards, I'm just chatting to one of my brothers, the quiet one. And I was like, so what do you think, bro? He was like, yeah, yeah, it was really good. I said, oh, thank you. He goes, yeah, yeah, like I really agree with what you're saying. I really felt the presence of God and gave my life to Jesus. And I was like, you're not supposed to do that. Said, what do you mean? He said, yeah, I really just, I didn't expect it. I just, I just opened my heart in that moment, like you said, and I didn't think anything would happen. I also felt the presence of the love of God. I just said, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And he did. And so, yeah, come on, it's worth celebrating. Thank you. I was the first person in my whole family to find faith in Jesus. Because someone prayed for me. Now, a whole bunch of them are following Jesus. It wasn't any of our ability or anointing or competence. It's power prayer. God can change anyone. God can change you. So I encourage you right now. Who is God leading you? And as we continue the series, as we look at invitation next week and then things like bringing and other things, and eventually these people will come to church and they will find hope in Jesus. We can say, I was there and we know all credit goes to God because prayer makes impossible things possible. 